0: Welcome. will Hello and welcome to Reaper's Digest, your one-stop shop for all things horror, B-movie, fantasy, and
1: pulp. I am Blake. And I am Duke. How are you doing tonight, Duke? I'm doing great. How about you, Blake?
0: Got a belly full of pizza and beer, so I'm a happy man. (laughs) Okay.
1: What are you drinking tonight?
0: I'm drinking Sweetwaters 420
1: strain. Oh G-13 yeah, IPA. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. I am drinking uh, Naked River uh, Sexy Mexi. It's a lager, and this is the first time I've ever tried this particular one before. I, I usually go for stouts or IPAs, and I looked that and thought. I'm in a mood for a lager tonight, so I grab it. It's pretty good. It's very smooth
0: very good i love mexican lagers myself i do too
1: i do too you know ironically the only true uh southern german czechoslovakian lager that you can get is mexican really what's that the mexican brewing industry was started by people that immigrated from austria and czechoslovakia and they're the only people in the country that are mass produced only people in the world that are mass producing real Pilsner lagers. Really? Yeah. Huh. You got to give it to them. Yeah. I love Germany. I mean, a lot of these craft beers are, are, you know, there are a lot of craft companies that are producing Pilsner lagers and lagers and stuff. But uh, as far as the big companies, Corona and uh, Dos Equis are the only ones that are producing it large scale. Really? Now, I love me
0: a Modelo. That's my beer of choice when I'm out.
1: Oh, yeah, Modelo's excellent. I love it.
0: Yeah. A little salt and lime. Yes. Good stuff. stuff. So, tell me a little bit about yourself, Duke, for those of us who might be joining us for the first time.
1: Okay. Well, uh, my name is Duke Ralston, and I am one of the creators behind Tennessee Macabre. I play the Grim Reaper, and Tennessee Macabre hosts uh, classic B horror movies. Um, also, I am a writer, and I am currently working on a novella that is being serialized in Pulp Factory E-Zine. And it is a horror western um, called Redemption. Um, but there's lots of great stories along with that in pulp factories. And if you've never read it, you need to need to dig it up on the internet and give it a read. And also have recently started co-hosting, uh, hell Billy Nanny with blank. And we play, uh, we play punk, we play garage bands, we play rockabilly, all kinds of cool music. Oh,
0: really cool music. Mm-hmm. That, Is like if you want to uh, listen to Duke and I try and one up each other with a playlist. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, I am Blake Ray. I am the lead singer of the band Blood Oaks, soon to be signed to a small punk label. You're here (laughs) to the DIY out there. And I am, well, one of the one of the uh, recurring characters on Tennessee McCobb. Yes, indeed. I play an exterminator and a biker named Barbecue. Yes. And I have been publishing Pulp Factory Easing for almost a year now. Yep. So. Yes, indeed. Yeah, we're going to talk about one of my favorite movies tonight. 1954's Creature from the Black Lagoon.
1: Yes. One of what the, do you think um, of this movie? You know, Universal really started the modern horror movies in 1931 with Dracula and Frankenstein. You had the silent horror movies that came before and uh, Lon Chaney Jr., some great horror movies. But you really get... Uh, a much a much better a lot of a lot of ways. Lon Chaney Jr. was great with makeup and he had some great things going on, but you really get with Universal, you get great set design, you get great makeup, you get great acting, great writing, whole nine yards. And they had a run of these classic monsters that began in 1931. The creature of the Black Lagoon was the last of the Universal Classic Monsters to come out.
0: It came out in 54. Yes. And it was in 3D, mm-hmm. which was, I think at that time, already kind of losing popularity. Losing ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is a shame. It made a comeback briefly in the 80s, this red and blue mm-hmm. uh, 3D. Yeah but uh you uh it looks great honestly
1: and yeah it does
0: yeah it's really cool if you get to see it in 3D it's fantastic
1: i would love to see it in 3D i never have i never have watched it in 3D um i can tell you that the cinematography is just incredible it is very clear very crisp this is one of the one of the best done movies that I have seen that come out of the fifties. Oh
0: yeah. And it has a real visual language that is, uh, truly unique. Yeah. Truly unique. Like Mm -hmm. it's an adventure story. It's a sci-fi story. It's a horror story.
1: Yep. It is really the beginning of um, the rubber suit monster movie phrase is kicked off by this movie. And there is, you know, there one of my favorite rubber suit monsters is uh, Monster Pedro's Blancas, which is well-written, well-acted, um, has a lot of things going for it, but has just a horrible, horrible suit. Yeah. And the suit and creature of the black lagoon is one of the best details. I love the scenes where he's out on land and you can actually kind of see his gills working. Yeah. That's one of the that's one of the neatest effects I've ever seen in a movie. They tried to
0: replicate that in a few other mm-hmm. of these types of movies, these monster from yeah. the water movies, and it's it's not an effect that translates easily. No, it really isn't. And they pulled it off really well in this movie. They really do. They really do. So, um, full disclosure, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> um, I've got The Creature tattooed on my arm. Mm-hmm. Um... I watch this about once a year. Yeah. Not as often as Jaws or Predator 2, but about once a year. Once a year. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Just to reintroduce myself, you know. uh, I have seen this in 3D in a theater. That's cool. Yeah. The Plaza Theater, which is the longest uh, continuously open theater in the southeast. Had uh, a showing of it, okay. And they had they ran the original 3D print, and it was a print, it was a 35 millimeter. Um, and they ran the original 3D, handed out the glasses, the whole nine. It was a hoot.
1: That sounds like a blast, it really was.
0: Now, that is how we found out that my wife is blind in one eye. Oh. Because the 3D wasn't working for her. Oh, dear. She was like, why is this movie all red? <laughs> so Wow. Yeah. Um, so you want to, let's give a little bit of background. You know, we've been talking about it. But Creature from the Black Lagoon comes out in 1954. It's American black and white 3D monster movie. Universal International produced by William Allen, directed by Jack Arnold, starring Richard Carlson, Julie Adams, Richard Denning, Antonio Marino, who uh, comes back for the second one, Nestor Pavia, and Whit Bissell. The yep. Creatures, played by Ben Chapman on land and Rico Browning, underwater. Yep. Now, it premiered in Detroit on February 12th and was released regionally which is something they used to do a lot of
1: mm-hmm.
0: they would kind of go market to market seeing yeah. how it did you I'm know?
1: just sitting here trying to picture in my mind walking into Detroit theater in February 12th of 1954 after you pushed the snow out of the way of the door to watch the creature of the black thing. It which kind of has that that uh tropical quality in it i i I really like that that's a really cool tidbit of information you know yeah so they uh
0: it was like we said 3d um the red and blue glasses uh Originally, it was not in the red and blue. Yeah. You know? yeah. It was in the polarized light method. Yes. You wore viewers with gray filters similar to what you kind of use today. Mm hmm. And it was put out in later iterations. Yeah. Um, So in 75, it was re-released in the red and blue, and that's usually what you'll see if you see it in 3D. -hmm. You know, that was also used for the Betamax and the VHS video cassettes. Right. Uh, You know what I found out researching this? What's that? Uh, The creature actually... uh, Uh, Premiered on TV before he premiered on uh, the big screen. It did. For marketing reasons, he was on the Colgate Comedy Hour with Abbott and Costello. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Which actually came out right
1: before the film's release. Makes sense. So, Abbott and Costello were a big act in the 40s. They'd had a series of of hits where they paired off against the, the older universal monsters. So it, it makes sense to market it by going to Abbott and Costello. Yeah. So it actually showed, he showed up on TV in a comedic role before
0: he showed up on the big screen. Yeah. Which is wild. Yeah. Um, Cause Abbott and Costello met the Wolfman. They fought Dracula. They met Frankenstein. Invisible man. The Invisible Man. That one's That's a good one. Yeah. You, know? um, you had two sequels. One that came out right after the year after 1955. It mm-hmm. was also released in 3D. And then The Creature Walks Among Us, which was released in 56, but it was filmed in 2D. Preview question. What's that?
1: What famous actor, what actor got his, his start star in The Creature Walks Among Us? us? Oh, I don't know. It is an unbuild in a silent role. Clint Eastwood. Oh. He played a lab tech.
0: Really? Yep. That's a, You know, horror movies have always been a starting ground for people. Yep. Um, Like I think about The Blob, which we'll have to talk about on here at some point, with mm-hmm. uh,
1: Steve McQueen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, and like I said, uh, this Jack, uh, Jack Nicholson started off in, um, oh, the terror the bucket. Of, no, was no one bucket, but Little Shop of Horrors. Really? Yeah.
0: He yeah. Plays, first, uh, uh, the,
1: this sorry. is the, the, the 1960 Little Shop of Horrors. And Jack Nicholson plays the, the pain junkie that goes to the dentist and uh it actually turns out to be uh Seymour who's there because Seymour's killed the dentist, and so seymour drills drills holes in his teeth and all kinds of stuff
0: yeah, that is a wildly demented movie yes <laughs> <laughs> it's just bizarre mm-hmm. so well let's uh, before we get too much further into this let's uh let's talk about what actually happens in the movie. Oh, let's do. So it starts off, well, first things first, it starts off with this weird like, introduction mm-hmm. talking about evolution, the development of life on Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, then it jumps in, and you've got this Amazonian uh, expedition that Uncovers a fossil, and the fossil yeah. is this skeletal webbed fingered hand. Yeah. So, they're saying that it is a link between land and sea animals. Yes. So, the doctor, Maya, orders his two assistants to stay in camp, and he goes to visit a marine biology institute. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two lab techs or assistants or whatever the uh, two native guys he's got working for him get bumped off. Yep. Meanwhile, Dr. Carl Maya reunites with his friend and a former student, an ichthyologist named Dr. David Reed. David works in an aquarium in California, but most recently has been a guest at Carl's Institute in Brazil to study the lungfish. Which is another link between land and sea animals. Lungfish are real; they are an amphibious, land walking fish, much like the mudskipper. Yeah. So David persuades his boss to fund an expedition and look for the remainder of the skeleton, because it's going to be a huge, a huge deal scientifically. Yeah. You know, Then the Piscine amphibious humanoid as they call it in the movie kills the two assistants uh, and we cut. The group mm-hmm. from the lab in Brazil is aboard what was called a tramp steamer, a little riverboat steamer mm-hmm. called the Rita. Captain by Lucas, who is the only character who comes back in the second one, right? Right. Um, you've got David, Carl, Mark, David's girlfriend Kay, and another scientist, Edwin Thompson. They arrive at the camp. They discover the assistants have been killed. They don't find anything. They mm-hmm. they are. Uh, They know it's an animal attack, but you're in the jungle, so they're like, whatever, we're going to keep digging. So, long story short, they don't find anything. They think that maybe the skeleton fell into the water and washed downriver into what is called the Black Lagoon, a place uh, where no one returns. Um, from there on, it's pretty standard monster movie fair, you know, Kay goes swimming, the Gill man watches her. Um, they drag up a claw. The Gill man kills a couple people, Mark, who is like the more Machiavellian, Mm -hmm. uh, member of the team. Is obsessed with killing the creature. Uh, That gets him, you know, eaten, basically. Yep. (laughs) The Gill Man abducts Kay in that classic scene where you've got the water monster with the woman draped over, fainted. David Lucas and Carl chase him. Kay is rescued. The creature is riddled with bullets, retreats to the lagoon, and sinks into the depths. Mm-hmm. That about right.
1: That's about that about sums it up. Yeah. One point that hit on me that that, that I just glommed onto with that introduction when you when you look at some of the earlier horror movies, there's always a religious element. Mm-hmm. And you look at some of the later horror movies from the seventies and eighties, things like The Omen and The Exorcist. There's a strong religious element. This horror movie is entirely set in science. The only reference to
0: religion is that in the beginning, there was blah, blah, blah. Right. The heavens and the earth. And then from then on, it's all
1: evolution, the Big Bang. Yeah. the cooling. Yeah. But even that in the beginning, in the beginning, it's almost a refutation of the genesis in the beginning.
0: Mm-hmm. A very sacrilegious stance for the era. Mm-hmm. Because we tend to think of, you know, the further back you go, the more puritanical Americans are, right? Right. But
1: it's just not that way. It comes right. in waves. Yeah, absolutely. It, it uh, just just to go all the way back, you know, people talk talk about the founding fathers and how religious they were. They weren't. Um, no. The whole act of the American Revolution was a revolution against the established church as well. And yeah. you have a wonderful period uh, in the 1700s to the Great Awakening when the United States was pretty much religion free. I mean, it was not, people went to church for social reasons. It was not a particularly religious country. And then you, like you say, you have waves and you have fits and the post-war era when American science and technology had triumphed over everything and America is kind of looking down the barrel of starting the space race Mm-mm. Um is kind of that time when when the the real religion in American social life is uh, science. Yeah. It was the Adam Age.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. But you didn't talk about it. It wasn't proper to deny something like
1: that. No, you didn't come out and deny it, but... Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so- this is the
1: Eisenhower era. It's all about appearances.
0: Oh, absolutely. And that, I think, is a lot about... a lot of what this is about. Yes. Right? This is American ingenuity, American uh, technology versus... uh, primordial
1: creature, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Go ahead. You can... You can one of the things that struck me here, and I know you and I you know it was it was one of your uh, one of the things you wanted to do was to write an article about the creature of the black lagoon as uh, an analogy for for imperialism
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um you and I had talked a little bit about that and then you sent me some of what you'd written and we, we discussed it a little bit and I'm watching this. And the thing I'm seeing as any good American imperialist, I'm going to switch the subject to British imperialism. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm going to say, Mark is very much uh, like Cecil Rhodes. He is, he is the, that same type of imperialist. He's all in it for the money. David, on the other hand, is a lot like Dr. Stanley. He is the pure scientist and his motives on the surface appear to be good, but he is very much he is as much an imperialist as Mark is. That's very
0: true. And they are very much colonizers. Yes. In the classic sense. Yes. You know, they're coming into this unspoiled Amazonian rainforest looking for evidence of a lost civilization, basically. Right? Right. It uh, brings to mind the search for gold in the Central Mm -hmm. Americas. In the Amazon. The search for the lost city of Z. Yeah. You know, Machu Picchu and... Um, any number of lost civilizations throughout the eras that we search for and then exploited. Yes. Um, because the history of uh, Western intervention in the Amazon is not exactly a positive one. No, to say the least.
1: Right. So right. I I it think- is. Uh, you know, I read an article. You know, the Amazon is the Amazon River itself is mined for gold, and then near the headwaters, you have the Minas Geris mining district, which is where most gemstones, with the exception of diamond and opal, most commercially produced gemstones you see, come from Minas Geris. And so, there's this horrible exploitation going on in the Amazon, and there are people that are running dredges. And one of the things you do is you use mercury to amalgamate gold. Of course, when you do that, you kill everything in the river and they Mm -hmm. do that on a regular basis in the Amazon. So it's pretty, uh, exploitation. There's pretty, pretty, pretty bad. You
0: also see, uh, sort of in a lot of ways, I think this is a subversive film. Is it what? A subversive film. Oh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, The Western invaders, and I'm going to call them invaders because Mm -hmm. the creature is not really a villain. No. The Gill Man is minding his own damn business, to be real. Mm -hmm. And he is attacked using superior firepower, Mm -hmm. chemical weapons hmm And then finally, subdued with heavy artillery, right?
1: Yes, 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 you know? Um, another interesting thing in this you have uh, you have a love triangle in this. mm-hmm. you have, of course, David. then you have Mark, who obviously has a thing for Kate. yeah the creature has a thing for Kate. And in the end, that is what gets him killed. Yeah. Which is, uh,
0: unfortunate. Yes. You know, yes. This monsters after pretty women thing. Yeah. Shows up a lot in this era.
1: Yes, it does.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, what do we make of that? I mean, are they just the most vulnerable according to the media? Racism. Yeah, I was, I was, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah. Yeah, it's racism. The outsider wanting the pretty white woman. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, uh, interesting thing about Mark and David. As they buy for uh, K, is that David is much more progressive for the era? Yes. You know, he's not expecting her to completely lose her career and everything like that. Mm -hmm. Mark, however, he's like, you know,
1: you're lucky to even be here. He's a caveman with a PhD. I've met quite a few. Yeah. In academia?
0: I met quite a few.
1: Yeah. And one of the things that I like about David, uh, and this reminds me, there's a, there's a lecture in, in the mummy where uh, the old archeologist is lecturing the young archeologist who ultimately goes crazy a few, a few frames later. And he says, there's more to be learned in these little shards and fragments than in all the gold and treasure in Egypt. And you kind of get that same that same speech where Mark is sort of lecturing, I'm mean, David is sort of lecturing Mark about the lungfish. Because initially he doesn't want to abandon his lungfish study to go after mm-hmm. this creature because he says, you know, what he's doing is just as important scientifically. And it is. And it is, yeah. It's not And you know, Mark's after money. Yeah.
0: Their names are so just interchangeable to me. Yes. You know, David, Mark, it's just...
1: David, Mark, and Kate. Yeah, Kate. It, it, it's Kate. I'm sorry. Yeah. It, it no, sounds it. like a, almost like a Dick and Jane. <laughs> oh, know? yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> See David swim. Swim, David. Swim. See the creature, eat David Eat creature, eat (laughs) So, I mean But I I think this movie has a lot to say About imperialism About traditional values About Mm -hmm. colonization And exploitation uh, Capitalism in general Yeah Because if we're saying that Science is a religion of the time, then capitalism is only holding science back. Yeah. So that means that capitalism is actually anti-God as, as, in a certain mm-hmm. way, right?
1: Right. It is the antithesis yeah. of, uh, if, if your religion is science, it is the antithesis of that.
0: Yeah, because pure scientific reasoning shouldn't Mm -hmm. make everything equal, right? Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Also, there's the idea of preservation of life is important in this.
1: Yeah.
0: You know? Um, Sorry, I keep hearing something over my shoulder, and it's my toddler. (laughs) But, uh, he's just popping in to see what Dad's doing. But, uh, No, you have a lot, of, uh, a lot of Western, a lot of racism in this movie. Oh, moment. yeah. Um, Absolutely. A lot of it's commented on, some of it's not. Yeah. You know, um, the first few deaths you see are definitely Native peoples. Mm-hmm. And their deaths are very much shrugged off. Yes. You know, the two assistants... Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, well Jaguar probably got him.
1: Yeah. Well, call somebody. He was upset, but but the rest of the crew is just kind of very nonchalant about it. Yeah. And, of course, you have to protect the woman. You can't let her see it. No, you can't. You know. She might faint. Yes. She has
0: every chance of fainting, you know? Yeah. But, uh, I don't know.
1: I... I love this movie, but it is a product of its time. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things that I mentioned to you the other day, one of the analogies that you always hear when you're talking about American uh, foreign policy that goes all the way back to the Great White Fleet at the turn, of the turn of the 19th and 20th centuries, was, you know, we will make the Caribbean an American lake. That was kind of the whole impetus behind the Spanish-American War. Let's make the Caribbean an American lake. And the Rita makes the Black Lagoon an American lake. It does. She goes in. She sits in the middle of it. And uh, when, it gets, when when things get, get hot, she starts using biological weapons. Oh, yeah. So now- the Rita is kind of a, an analogy for a battleship.
0: Yeah, this has got one of my favorite tropes from this era in it. Yeah. that is the science gun. The what? The science gun. Oh. That is when a scientist brings a pistol or a harpoon gun in this case. Yeah. For no discernible reason. Yeah. Now, if they had a rifle, I'd get it. They're a Jaguar. Yeah. But the spear gun. Has no purpose. (laughs) None. (laughs) None. They're not expecting to find a biological entity. Right. So it's got the science gun. Well, if hypothesis don't work, this will. Yeah. Or shoot it. Yeah. So. I mean. Another thing that keeps getting brought up about this movie. Is the idea that. They're going to remake it
1: one day, right? Yeah. What do you think about that? That they're going to what? Remake it. Reboot it. Remake it. No. <laughs> there are um, there are some movies that are so iconic that I don't believe that they can be remade. And I think this is one of them. Um, This movie captures time and place as much as it does anything else. And if you try to remake it now, you lose that time and place. I think Universal, uh, you know, Universal a few years ago, tried to create a monster universe Mm -hmm. with uh, Dracula, the Untold Dracula, and the mummy and the problem I have with it is that universal doesn't really understand their own catalog of movies and they, they, they did not do anything. There were some interest. It was more like a superhero movie with Mm -hmm. monsters instead of superheroes. And there were some interesting scenes and at least the mummy, um, but they, they don't, they miss out on on the the ethos of what was going on in those original movies. And I would argue that you can't recapture what was going on in those original movies.
0: No, I don't think you can.
1: I mean, I don't, I don't think that you can. Particularly the creature of the Black Lagoon, because the, the this is nine years after the end of World War II. Mm-hmm. The United States is the undisputed champion of the world. Yeah, There is a kind of arrogance and headiness and self-assured belief in science-solving everything mm-hmm. that just permeates this whole movie. And you can't duplicate that now, I don't think. You don't think in a post-9-11
0: world we don't have a little bit of that?
1: I think in a post-9-11 world...
0: Or have we been proved too vulnerable?
1: I think we're too vulnerable. I think, I think we're too vulnerable. And I think that some of the things that happened post nine 11, you know, one of the things that makes this movie so powerful is David knows that he is morally right. Mm -hmm. Mark knows that he is right from a business sense. And there's yeah. no, they don't, they're not questioned. They're completely self-assured. I think now, if you make that same movie, I think even after Vietnam, if you make that same movie, you can't make it without asking those questions about, um, are we right to be here? Yeah. Those, those characters cannot be self-assured. Does that make for a bad movie or just a different movie? It makes for a different movie. It doesn't make for a bad movie necessarily, but it makes for a different movie. Yeah. So essentially, you would get, you could do a Gillman movie, but it would be totally different.
0: Yeah, it couldn't be Creature from Black Lagoon.
1: Mm-mm,
0: mm-mm. No. It is uh it is iconic. What would you want to see in a remake if they had to make it?
1: What would I want to see if they did it? Yeah. I would want to see, you know, I would want to see an American oil expedition to the Amazon. Hmm. And this is not a scientific expedition because the United States now is not so much about doing scientific expeditions as they are about finding energy. Mm-hmm. And uh so these guys, these guys are looking, they're looking for an oil basin in the Amazon and they're going to exploit it. And the creature is in their way. And maybe you make uh, the creature, uh, a Latin American hero, a kind of a scaly Zaro. There thing, you go. Where he's defending, he's defending the natives and he's defending the Amazon. Yeah.
0: So, uh, when you say that, it it brings another film to mind. What's that? Did you happen to catch, it was 2020, and spoiler alert for the movie Underwater. But, did you happen to catch Underwater? No, I didn't. Oh, you need to watch it. Okay. You need to watch it. But it's about a drilling expedition in a deep trench. Oh... Underwater, yeah, that's the title. Kristen Stewart plays just a B.A. science science officer, uh huh. Uh-huh. But it is very much well, and it's also got nods to the Cthulhu mythos and blah blah blah. You know, which yeah. you can't get away from Lovecraft, no matter how hard no. you try. No. This even has shades of Lovecraft in it. Yeah, yeah. Because the deep ones, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, the deep ones being Lovecrafts, half-human, half-fish hybrid monsters. Yes. You know. So, but, uh, yeah, that is basically Creature from the Black Lagoon, but modern. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'll have to check that out. That sounds good. I'll tell you what. I was going to see it for
0: uh, just a... Go goof off yeah. it was it was cheap it was I was the only uh, me and my wife were the only two people in the theater. We were just about ten minutes, about ten minutes in, I was like, We gotta really watch this. this is pretty good <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> we were you know yeah. talking on our phones, and I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, <laughs> like this to pay attention here, yeah, yeah, something's going on on screen, mhm, so well, what else do we want to say about this film?
1: You know, I'm trying, and I can't, I can't find a way to put this in the into words. This this for me captures one half of what fifties horror is. It's it's one half creature from the Black Lagoon, and it's one half blob, and um. Either either you're dealing with some sort of mutation or genetic throwback, you know, a rubber suit monster, or you're dealing with something that came from outer space. And it is a time when the United States was afraid of invasions. Mm-hmm. Uh, a time when the United States, like we said, almost worshipped science and you know that's that's another thing. The heroes of all these movies were always scientists, either mm-hmm. they were scientists or uh military figures that were leading a response and half the time they were military scientists, you know
0: mm-hmm.
1: so it is there's a there's a lens in there from probably nineteen fifty four to maybe nineteen sixty five and the states sees itself a certain way. Um, And I would say the Hot Rod Monster movie
0: epitomizes that. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. Like uh, the giant Gila monster. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or Gila monster, rather. Yeah. The giant Gila monster is the quintessential drag race Mm -hmm. monster movie. Yes. You know?
1: It captures. You've got some elements that go into it. You got drag drag racing culture. You got rock and roll that feed into it. Although you don't have rock and roll and drag racing culture in here in this particular movie, this type of movie gives rise to that. You've got yeah. uh, a bunch of kids and dragsters that are helping law enforcement and government officials defeat the monster. Yeah. So it's kind of yeah. like it's kind of like Disney on acid. You know, which is uh, you know the best way to go
0: to Disney World. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, unless you're afraid of rats.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so, absolutely, well, I, think, I think that's about our time for tonight. Okay, what do we
1: uh, what do you got to promote, dude? Well, of course, I want everybody to tune in Tennessee McCobb. We're going to be on on Saturday nights on ITV Chattanooga at 10 Central Time. We're on Otherworlds TV uh, on Roku um, at midnight on Saturday night, every Saturday night. You can also find us on the Monster Channel, uh, Betamax TV, and uh, The Vortex. So please tune in. And, of course, I want you to stream uh, Hellbilly Nanny And, uh, Blake, tell them a little bit about that. Hell, Billy, Hoot, Nanny is a uh, punk,
0: garage, rockabilly, and surf music curated by yours truly, uh, the dynamic duo here. And we we uh, play at eleven Eastern Standard Time on Saturday nights on Weird Sisters Radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, we're in the chat on Weird Sisters, talking to the people who are listening. So you can check that out. Um, That's about it for that. My band, Blood Oaks, is playing a cancer benefit on October 2nd at the Star Bar. So if you're around the Atlanta area, definitely come out. And I think that's it for me. Pulp Factory is putting out another. We put out an issue every month towards the end of the month. Yes. So got some
1: excellent
0: stuff coming up in this one. Oh yeah, I'm very excited about this one. Yeah. Very excited. So we're actually uh expanding our format officially yes. this month. So all right. Well, until next time, I am Blink.
1: And I'm Dave. All right.
0: Thank you for choosing the Reaper's Digest Podcast. Like and subscribe. Recommend like us
1: to your us friends. friends. Check, us, Check out us out on all, all social, social media outlets. outlets. We'll see
0: you next time.